the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Sponsored by the Law Office of Robert Bergman. Welcome to Plan Your Estate Radio with your host, San Jose Estate Planning Attorney Bob Bergman. Bob's been practicing law for over 30 years and is certified by the State Bar of California as a legal specialist in estate planning trust and probate law. Bob is here to help you set your house in order with valuable insights you can use today to prepare a better tomorrow for your loved ones. And now, your host for Plan Your Estate Radio, Attorney Bob Bergman. Good afternoon, Bay Area. This is uh, Attorney Bob Bergman broadcasting from my office here in San Jose. Uh, It's going to be uh, a busy weekend in the Bergman household this weekend. Uh, My daughter's school, St. Francis Cabrini School in San Jose, uh, backs up to Camden Avenue uh, near Camden and Union, is having their fiesta. Uh, Fiesta, it's three days of of carnival rides, carnival games, great food, live bands, and uh, also a volleyball tournament and a football tournament going on between several of the elementary schools. Uh, my daughters are actually on one of our school's two sixth-grade volleyball teams. I'm the assistant coach for that team, and um, and yesterday they won their first game of the tournament. It was a real nail-biter. And tomorrow morning they'll be playing their second game of the tournament, uh, and depending on how they do tomorrow morning, if they win tomorrow morning, they will be playing in the first place championship game on Sunday. And uh, and if they win tomorrow, they'll be playing actually the other sixth grade team from St. Francis Cabrini. So it'll be an all Cabrini tournament if uh, if my girls team wins tomorrow morning. So uh, give us a cheer, send up a prayer. Um, you know, hopefully you're you're not cheering for the other team tomorrow morning. So I'm going to be taking uh, calls on the air today. If you have any questions you'd like to ask of me, uh, the number is 800-516-1220, 800-516-1220. I'd also like to let you all know that I do have my Living Trust seminars coming up. Um, I have two on Saturday, October 19th. One is at 9 o'clock a.m., The other one is at 12 o'clock noon. Uh, It looks like the the one at 9 o'clock a.m. may be full now. So uh, but the one at noon still does have some space available. So if you'd like to meet me and come find out about living trust planning and many of the neat things we can do with that, uh, the time to come out is uh, on Saturday, October 19th. Then also. In November, on Wednesday night, November 13th, and Thursday night, November 14th, I will be giving Living Trust seminars at the Camden Community Center, which is on Union Avenue near Camden 
in San Jose. I have a lot more room in those seminars uh, to take people. Uh, to register for any of those seminars, you can go to eventbrite.com, eventbrite.com, and look for Living Trust Seminar on that date, October 19th or November 13th and 14th. Or you can go to my website at lawbob, L-A-W-B-O-B dot com, and you can follow the links for the seminars, and you can register and get to Eventbrite that way as well. Now, today, if you have a question for me and you don't feel like calling in because you don't want to go on the air, feel free to email me at radio at lawbob.com. That's radio, R-A-D-I-O, at lawbob.com, and I can answer your question on the air if you email me. Now, getting back to my the usual approach I have for my show here on Plan Your State Radio, I'm going to go around the state of California and pull out questions and situations that have come up for actual families here in the state with actual concerns and actual questions. So nothing of what you're about to hear is made up. Um, These are actual people throughout the state that have these situations. Now here's a question that I'm sure um, has come up before in people's minds. The question is, is there a California attorney registry for duplicate living trust paperwork. Uh, The problem is these people can't find the trust paperwork. They were told that the attorney who drafted the trust is deceased and and didn't know his name, but he practiced in Los Angeles County. Well, that narrows it down to several thousand attorneys. Let's put it that way. Uh, The bottom line is there is no central registry for living trust paperwork because Living trusts, revocable living trusts, are in fact private documents not intended to be published anywhere or made available to the general public in any way, shape, or form. Unlike a will, which gets filed with the probate court in the county where you lived uh, and becomes a public record, living trusts are generally not public records. Uh, They'd only become publicly known if you had to go to court to do something in reference to the trust And then the court will require a copy of the trust be filed with the court in order to consider whatever your request may be. But other than that, there is no central registry, duplicate registry, or anything like that. Now, what that means is if you have a trust, you want to make sure that everybody who's important to you knows that you have that trust, knows where the original and any copies are, and knows who the attorney is that drafted it. If that attorney has died, then it's likely that attorney's files have been turned over to another attorney, and that other attorney has probably on their own website put up information indicating that they have the files of the deceased attorney. The other way is you can always check with the bar association in the county where the attorney was, and they can often put out requests to the membership of anyone who has that attorney's files or took over that attorney's practice and then maybe link up in that way. But there is, in fact, no central registry. Okay, here's a question. Um, It says, my friend will be naming me as the beneficiary on her will. Under California law, would the will still be considered valid if my parents sign her will as two witnesses? Yes, absolutely so. 
Not a problem at all. In fact, this friend could even be one of the witnesses as a beneficiary, even as long as the other witness is not a beneficiary related in any way. That's that's kind of the general rule. This person also said, I heard the will doesn't need to be notarized in California, but what will happen if we decide to get it notarized? Will that cause problems? No, there's no requirement to notarize a will in California. The the only um, place in the country I'm aware that's the case is uh, might be Florida, but generally we don't notarize wills. If you haven't notarized, it really doesn't add or subtract anything to the will. It doesn't make it more valid or less valid. It's just a will that's been notarized. I mean, the notary arguably might be a witness as long as they actually witnessed the signing before they notarized, which would kind of be the the usual case. Okay, now here's a situation, very straightforward. Um, Mom's husband was the agent under a power of attorney, um, says on her trust. I'm assuming that means was the power of attorney agent and maybe successor trustee of the trust. Now she wants me, her son, to be her agent under a power of attorney. How do I go about this? Um, Well, you can download a statutory form power of attorney from the state of California. You can Google that and find that. Use that form. Or you can go to an estate planning attorney such as myself to maybe prepare a better and more comprehensive power of attorney. But the main thing is mom has to have the ability to have the competence to sign It could either be witnessed or notarized, but notarization is probably the best when you're talking about a power of attorney. We're coming up on the first break for the show today, and uh, I hope you uh, stay to listen for the rest of the show today. If you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220, or you can uh, email me any questions you have to radio at lawbob.com. But until then, I'll talk with you after the break. This is estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. Rob. This is Plan Your Estate Radio with San Jose estate planning attorney Bob Bergman on AM 1220 KDOW. Hi, welcome back. <laughs> Again. Hi, welcome back. Before the break, I was talking about a a situation that a family was facing, and I think I kind of resolved that one. So I'm going to move on to some new ones here uh, in the state of California. Uh, Here's someone out of Los Angeles asking uh, the following question. A a person who dies intestate is a person who dies without a will. That's a correct statement of what the law um, defines intestate. Does it apply to married or partnered couples as well. I think by partnered, they mean domestic partners, registered domestic partners. Well, anyone who dies without a will dies intestate, whether they are married or not. Uh, The real question becomes, um, in reference to that, uh, if they died without a will, did they have other things in place that would keep their assets or property out of the probate process. If they jointly owned like a joint tenancy property with somebody, that would not go through probate. If they jointly owned a bank account or brokerage account with someone that um, that was 
uh, community property if they were married or registered domestic partners um, or was joint tenancy property, that would avoid probate. If they had an account that was in their individual name, but it named a pay-on-death beneficiary, that would also avoid probate. But um, in many cases, if someone dies without a will, owning property, that could be real estate, that could be personal property that they own, like bank accounts, brokerage accounts, um, jewelry, precious metals, works of art, things like that. Uh, If the total value exceeds $150,000, or if it's real estate and it's worth at least $50,000, I know that's a very low amount, at least $50,000, then that person will have to go through the probate process. Uh, It's one of the reasons why I recommend, as a general rule, that if, first of all, if you own a house, or if you don't own a house, if you have more than $150,000 in assets, and uh, and you want to control where those go when you die, and I mean actually control, not just say, well, when I die, it goes to this person, because that's kind of giving up control. Um, you don't know if that person that's going to might be a special needs person now. They might be someone who will just spend it all, and uh, and you don't know what the end result will be. I suggest that people use a revocable living trust to own most of the things that they own, so that they can control having it handled for them should they become incapacitated during lifetime, but also so that they uh, could make sure that it goes to the person or persons they want it to go to after death and also have well-thought-out alternates for who the property should go to after death because sometimes the person that you name doesn't survive you. And it doesn't matter if they're a lot younger than you are. Even younger people can have illnesses. They can get into accidents. All kinds of things can happen to younger people. So uh, based on that, I generally recommend living trust planning if people have any kind of substantial assets. And the threshold for substantial assets is not that high. So here's someone who asked a question. um, In a trust, the trust states on the settler's death the trustees shall distribute the remaining trust estate, both real and personal property, as follows. That's very typical language that you'd see in a trust. It, it's basically the it, it's the start of telling whoever is the successor trustee, this is who is to receive the property and whether or not there's any conditions on receipt of that property. So the question this person had was, what does that mean? Or how does that work? What does distribute actually mean? Does this mean the trustees supposed to sign over the properties to the names of the beneficiaries? Answer to that, probably yes. If it says that Johnny's supposed to get my house on Main Street, then the trustee's supposed to execute a deed transferring the property from the trust, the property on Main Street, to Johnny, who's now the new owner. Is there a time frame in which it's supposed to be done? Another excellent question. The time frame, there's no statutory time frame, but basically it's supposed to be done as quickly and efficiently as possible, taking into account that there may be creditors' claims, um, there may be notice claims that you have to give. Uh, you probably really can't do it sooner 
than 120 days as a general rule, unless literally everybody who could have been a beneficiary of the person that died, including who could have been a beneficiary under the laws of intestacy, meaning if there was no plan at all, um, if you could probably do it sooner than 120 days. But there's no specific time frame in general for distribution. It's just the trustee needs to make sure to be as quick and efficient about it as possible. But sometimes things intervene. Some There could be a pending lawsuit against the person that died, and just because they died doesn't necessarily mean the lawsuit went away. So it may be that you can't distribute things for a long time after the person died because of the uncertainty whether or not there will be a claim against the estate. So that's what distribute means. It basically means to remove the property from the trust ownership and turn it over to or transfer it to the ownership of the beneficiary or beneficiaries of the trust. Okay, so here it says, uh, my last parent passed in July of this year. He had a revocable trust that was prepared just in his name. So I'm guessing this is dad. In 2016, he transferred his house to me by a trust transfer deed. I am the successor trustee and executor under his will. Do I file an affidavit of successor trustee or some other document? Well, the answer to that question, it depends. It depends on whether or not dad added this child as a co-trustee on the house with this trust transfer deed. If that's the case, then an affidavit of successor trustee with a certified copy of a death certificate would be appropriate to remove dad's name from the property. But if dad put the son on as the trustee and dad's no longer on the title as the trustee, there's nothing else that needs to be filed uh, other than to inform the county that dad has passed away. That's a notification of death of real property owner. Every county requires that. And then if the property's going to the child, the child will probably want to transfer it out of the trust to themselves, file a change of ownership report, and also file a Proposition 58 parent-to-child exclusion form so that they can actually um, maybe not have the property taxes reassessed on that property. We're coming up now on the uh, second break of the show. And when I come back um, after this break, we'll continue on with more questions and comments from around the state of California. But um, until then, if you'd like to call in, it's 800-516-1220. My engineer, Marco, is standing by, and he'll uh, you can wait over the break, and we'll pick up after the break. But if no one calls in, I'll just keep going forward with these more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman. And I'll get back to you after the break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio with attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. I'm going to continue now with more questions and comments from around the state of California. I have several more here, and uh, but I did want to remind you that you can call in, if you wish, 800-516-1220. 
I'm happy to take questions on the air and answer them to the best of my ability. Uh, if it's something I can't answer, I'll let you know that too. Uh, because I, uh, as an attorney, I believe in answering the questions that I can answer. And if I can't answer it, then trying to get people to someone that I believe could actually answer the question for them. So I'm not going to make things up on the air. I'll let you know straight out whether or not I can answer the question. So here's a situation out of Ontario, not Ontario, Canada, Ontario, California. And it said, uh, let's see, it said, Mom, um, let's see, Mom died. My younger brother was appointed the uh, executor of Mom's will, and this person is the alternate. Um, the the younger brother has had no contact with anybody regarding the estate of mom. Uh, mom's estate is under $150,000, and I know that a small estate affidavit is required. That's exactly right. That's something specifically authorized here in California. If you have a small enough estate, you don't need to go through the probate process, and instead a small estate affidavit, which is a sworn statement, uh, can be used. Now, here the question is, um, I know, they say I know there's, uh, there's um, a number of different accounts and things like that. And this person want to know, wants to know, does a small estate affidavit need to be filed with the court? And, and, and if so, wh which court does it have to be filed in? The small estate affidavit is not filed with the court at all. It's actually prepared and given to the the uh, financial institution, typically the financial institution, that is actually holding the account. And it lets them know that they can turn the money over to the people who are named in someone's will, or if they had a trust, uh, over to the successor trustee of the trust, and uh, so that it can be further distributed. Uh, if there is no will, then everybody who is the intestate heir of the person, um, typically it might be their children, uh, they all have to sign the affidavit because they're the ones who are sharing, uh, presumably sharing equally in that account. And uh, it's then delivered to the bank or the brokerage or whoever is actually holding the property. And that affidavit then gives protection to the bank or brokerage so that they can actually distribute the property and not have to worry about whether or not um, they have uh, the right to make that distribution. So that's really what the affidavit of small estate value is all about and why, why we actually use it. So here, oh gosh, this is a really, really tragic situation. When I see things like this, I personally get very upset because I know this kind of nonsense goes on all the time. Here's the question. What can be done about my grandma's husband who was married to her for the last 10 years of her life and took everything she owned? Six of the last years, grandma was bedridden ill and refused visitation with family and friends by her husband. He managed to deplete her savings, 
write checks to himself forging her name. A huge mortgage was taken on her home that she had nothing owned on previously. All her assets she had put in her trust are missing. And understand, the husband's not even named on the trust or the will. The cars he put in his name after her death, even though they're in the trust and were supposed to go to beneficiaries. He won't leave the home. The home was left in trust to other beneficiaries. And her lawyer, Grandma's lawyer, had written a statement stating that uh, he felt she'd been bullied by him after he got really angry with her when he was in his office because she would not add him into the trust or give him the house after she died. Her lawyer even called Adult Protective Services on him. Well, here's the deal. This has been going on, it sounds like, for at least six years before Grandma died. And it sounds like they knew that this stuff was going on all that time. Really, probably the time to complain or do something about it was while Grandma was still alive. In a situation like this, I would have advised the family, you need to contact Adult Protective Services in the county where Grandma lives. In this case, it says Carlsbad, California, so that would be San Diego County. And you tell them what's going on. Tell them what you know, what you suspect, and let the county investigate Grandma and Grandma's spouse to see if he's doing this kind of stuff. And if he's doing this kind of stuff, they can stop him. They can charge him with um, elder abuse, elder financial abuse. Uh, they can cut off all contact that he has with any of her finances. Um, in an extreme case, they might even charge him with felony financial abuse and uh, and try him and convict him and even maybe send him to jail for this kind of behavior. But it sounds like this family knew for several years that nonsense was going on, and they just kind of waited until Grandma died to actually start doing anything. They can still do things now, but the likelihood is they're, the most they can do is get him out of the house, have him evicted from the house, but they're and, and maybe even sue to get the cars back. But if everything else has been spent by him and he doesn't have anything at all, you've probably heard the expression getting blood out of a turnip. That's probably what they're looking at now is not being able to recover anything um, that he stole from Grandma and spent on himself, presumably. So a horrible situation. It's a kind of situation that goes on um, all the time, all over the place. Most of the time, nothing is ever done about it. Most of the time, people don't, either they don't realize until it's too late, they don't find out until it's too late, or they find out and they go, you know what, it's not worth fighting about, and they just don't do anything at all. But really, if you suspect that something's going on with an elderly relative, that someone's taking advantage of them financially, that someone's forging their name and cashing checks to themselves, all those kinds of things. Don't sit on your hands. And you know what? Especially if it is a family member doing that, to me, that's 10 times more outrageous than someone who's not a family member. Someone, you know, it's one thing to be just a crook. It's another thing to be a crook and related to the person 
that you're stealing from. I find that worse than just a regular crook. At least a regular crook, they're a crook. They know they're a crook. You know, they're they're not pretending to be something else. But family members often do pretend to be something else other than what they are. And that's where, you know, you need to step up. What's more important, preserving the relationship with a family member who's lying, cheating, and stealing from a parent, for example, or protecting the parent? I would vote for protecting the parent and and getting the family member that is acting inappropriately or even illegally, trying to get them out of the picture so they can't do it anymore. That's my personal opinion. That's also my professional opinion as an attorney. Okay, here's someone in Anaheim. Anaheim. Um, I'll, I'll be heading with my family to Anaheim next week. You can probably guess who we're going to visit. Yeah. Um, um, I, I won't give the name, but his initials are M.M. And his girlfriend's initials are M.M. too. And he has a really good friend with the initials D.D. So if you haven't figured out where we're going next week to Anaheim, then you probably have been living under a rock or in a cave. So here out of Anaheim, we have a situation where you've got three people owning a property. Uh, One inherited it through a trust, 35% ownership. The other owners at 30 and 35% respectively have the remaining 65%, but they don't want to sell but they want to buy out the first person at a lower value. Question, is there a possible way to force a sale or buy out at market value? And the person gave a reason why they want to liquidate assets, they want to cash out. So here, yeah, if the other people don't want to sell, but they want to buy out and lowball you, and you just want your money, you can file what's called a partition action. It is an action in the Superior Court, in this case, in Orange County, that says, look, I'm a part owner of this property. I don't want to be a part owner of this property. I want my cash. The other side wants to buy me out, um, but they don't want to pay market value for my interest. So I just want the property ordered sold, and then I want my share of the sale proceeds turned over to me. And the court can actually order that sale to take place. Just filing that action might actually get the other two people to deal more fairly and come up with a fair market value to purchase out that interest because the other two people are actually a married couple, which means um, they'd end up owning 100% of the property as a married couple. Well, we're coming up on the third break of the show. I hope you're enjoying it so far. Uh, You can give a call if you'd like. I'll have a chance to take one call after the break if someone calls in. 800-516-1220. If no one calls in, then I'll wrap up the show today with a few more questions and comments from around the state of California. This is attorney Bob Bergman. I'll talk with you after the last break. Now, back to Plan Your Estate Radio. Once again, your host, estate planning trust and probate law specialist, attorney Bob Bergman. Hi, welcome back. We're on the last segment of the show today, and um, I'm going to, I have a couple of kind of interesting ones here I want to cover. Maybe I'll get to three or not, 
But uh, this has to do with the issue of um, a common trust provision that says that a trustee has the power to retain unproductive or underproductive property. In this particular situation, um, they're talking about two assets, one a large duplex that has sat empty for nearly 20 years, bringing in no rent, and the trustee has no plan to fix it up and sell it or rent it. The other property is a very nice cabin that the trustee, who's also a beneficiary, has been using as personal vacation and summer home rent-free for many years. And then on top of that, um, this trustee has let one of the other beneficiaries, who has a 20% interest, also visit at, say, at the cabin, but not the other beneficiaries who presumably also have interests. So this trustee beneficiary owns a 50% share in each property, and then the siblings and this person writing own a 30% share collectively in each property. So the question is, if unproductive property, does that mean the trustee is not required to do anything with this duplex to fix it up, rent it, or sell it, or something like that? Um, does she have any obligations? Uh, does she have any obligations to do that as the trustee, or does she not have to because it's uh, because it's unproductive? Let me explain what unproductive property means. Unproductive property is property that's by its very nature does not produce income. So unproductive property might very well be, oh, for example, a piece of raw land that's just sitting there and uh, and it's not growing crops or being used for grazing and it has no orchard on it or anything like that. It's just raw land that's sitting there. So it's not productive, but it but it doesn't mean it's not valuable. And holding on to unproductive property like a vacant lot might be the best thing to do, especially if it's anticipated that that vacant lot will be needed later to build on, or it might be acquired later, maybe because it's in the pathway of a highway that's coming through or an expansion as a city's expanding Eventually, they're going to reach that vacant lot, and it's going to be more valuable, and then it can be built on or sold. Underproductive property just means that. If you have farmland that's growing soybeans, but they determined it could be more productive if it was growing wheat or something else, just because it's not having its highest productivity use doesn't mean that the trustee has to automatically convert to a more productive use. That would be underproductive property. But property that's sitting there that is that could be used as rental property, sitting there empty for 20 years, okay, it's not that it's underproductive or unproductive. It's not being utilized to produce anything. It's not unproductive because you could have it producing income by fixing it up and renting it out. Or you could sell it to convert the proceeds to a productive use by putting it into uh, other investments that are generating income, interest or dividends or having growth or something like that. And so in this case, I think the trustee is um, uh, really needs to do something with that duplex. 
needs to either sell it or fix it up or rent it or something like that. The other issue, denying access to this cabin to those beneficiaries who collectively own a 30% interest, if they in fact own a 30% interest through the trust, they have every right to be in that property as well. And the one trustee with a 50% interest who's a beneficiary cannot deny them access. So this right here, I think this family is heading for a major problem down the line because you have a, a, apparently a family member that's decided that they're in charge of everything and no one else should be able to have any say whatsoever. That is not correct. That's the kind of thing that could probably get that trustee beneficiary removed as the trustee because they're clearly using trust property to benefit themselves and the people they want to benefit and denying it to other beneficiaries. Trustees are not allowed to do that. They're not allowed to to deny benefits to other beneficiaries that they grant to themselves or or their own choice beneficiaries. That is directly in violation of what a trustee is supposed to be doing. Okay, I got a couple more quick ones here. Here's uh, one says, Grandma's trust gives me a specific gift of $10,000. Can I get it before the trust closes? Grandma's house is part of the trust up for sale. Can I get my gift before the house sells? Well, the short answer is yes, if there's actually $10,000 to give to you. If you're only going to have $10,000 available when Grandma's house is sold, well, then the answer is obviously no, because there's no cash there to give to you. I find it's not unusual to have an estate where the only thing is a house and it has to be sold before specific cash gifts can be distributed to anyone. So just wait until it sells. Eventually you get your ten grand, and life will go on. Well, that's all for today. I hope you've enjoyed the show. I will probably not be broadcasting live next week because I will be in Anaheim visiting my good friends M.M., M.M., and D.D., Um, I may pre-record a show and have that put up, but you'll probably be hearing a show again. So next week, this is Bob Bergman. Have a great weekend. You've been listening to Plan Your Estate Radio with estate planning attorney Bob Bergman. For more information on today's program or to schedule a consultation, visit lawbob.com, where you'll also find information on his upcoming estate planning seminars. L-A-W-B-O-B, lawbob.com, or call his office in San Jose, 408-247-0444. That's 408-247-0444. And be sure to tune in next week for more Plan Your Estate Radio. Opinions expressed in the preceding program do not necessarily represent the views of the ownership, staff, or management of this station and are for informational purposes only and should not be construed to be legal, financial, or tax advice. Seek appropriate legal advice regarding your particular situation. Attorney Bob Bergman does not offer any guarantees with regard to the outcome of your legal matter. Prior results in other cases do not guarantee a similar outcome in your case. All rights reserved. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn. 
deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.